Hey everyone, welcome to episode 29 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. In today's episode, you're going to hear from James Collins. James is a strength and conditioning coach based out of Springfield, Massachusetts in the USA. He's of Irish descent. And I have to say, James, I've known him for about a year, is definitely one of the up-and-coming coaches for me. He's got a great blend of uh, academic qualifications, practical experience, and also the kind of personality and mindset that's allowed him to build his career relatively quickly. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in the future. The reason I asked him to be on the podcast is that he seems to have, have trod a path that a lot of coaches are interested in, in taking for themselves, namely pursuing a career in the USA. So in this episode, we talked all about his beginnings as a coach, how and when he took the decision to go over to Springfield to study and and what that process entailed. And then we get into his experiences of of being a coach in the USA. What are the differences between Europe and the USA? How he approaches his job of working with multiple teams as a graduate assistant and get into some guys that he listens to, why he listens to them and and just generally have a really good conversation. I have to say this one got a little bit looser than um, the normal format just because he and I have been friends for uh, a little while now so we just basically get into it but I thought it was a, an excellent conversation and I think everyone's going to get a ton out of this whether they're a new coach or uh, they're more experienced and they want to get into the detail of, of how they train their athletes and, and get the most out of their training. Now remember, if you like this podcast and you want to get your hands on even more materials like this, make sure you check out the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive online members area where each month we share video webinar presentations from strength and conditioning coaches working within elite level sport. They present about the topics that really matter within the industry, not just what accreditation bodies tell you to learn. Not only that, but we have a discussion forum where you can talk about any topic within strength and conditioning, ask questions, get answers, share resources with other coaches from all over the world. And lastly, we have a career advice section where you can speak to coaches who have been there and done it before you get advice from them on how to progress your career, how to prepare for job interviews and how to apply for jobs. At present, we have over 200 members from all over the world. We have coaches at every different level of sport, both professional and amateur. And we have members from a variety of different sports. It's not just for rugby. So if you'd like to give that a try, you just need to go to rugbystrengthcoach.com slash members. And at the checkout, enter the word trial. You can try that for one pound for 24 hours. If you like it, keep it. If you don't, no problem. Just cancel it. No strings attached. But for now, enjoy this episode of the podcast with James. And I'll talk to you soon. James, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, mate. Not too bad. Um, so for people who've not heard of you before, uh, you're obviously James Collins, but where are you from and, and what are you doing? Um, I'm from Dublin, Ireland, and I recently, well, not recently, but two years ago, I moved to the States to pursue a master's in strength and conditioning with Springfield College, um, where I had an internship with Northeastern University, and I interned at Springfield College, um, American International College, and then I became a graduate assistant in strength and conditioning, um, where I coached four different teams for, for, for an entire year. I my teams were baseball, men's soccer, women's lacrosse, field hockey. Um, I finished up in Springfield now, and I'm now interning at Bo- with Boston University ice hockey with Sean Scan. Um, and also, I'm on the I'm on the job hunt at the moment. So I like it. So, much, yeah. <laughs> so you know, going all the way back, did did you yeah. um, did you study sports science back in Ireland before making the move to the states? Yeah. So I I kind of came grew up in the kind of uh, the secondary school rugby system in Ireland. Um, I went to a pretty pretty well known rugby school. So, with within that and within the school system, I kind of got it. I mean, it, it's basically you're, you're basically a professional at the age of fourteen, you know. 
And I, I kind of got, um, I, you know, like most strength conditioning coaches, we probably weren't the most talented at our sport. So I found myself in, in the weight room and, and that was kind of where I, I tried to, um, uh, I kind of, I guess that's, that's where I found my love for it. So then I, I, I applied then for the uh, a sports science degree program in the Institute of Technology in Tala where Kieran Collins runs it, who's, who's a very, very smart guy people should, should check out. But I, I applied there and I think I, I, at that point, I went, then I, I didn't really know strength conditioning was a thing. I think I wanted to do physiotherapy. And then I had my first, my first class, strength conditioning class with Barry Solon. And then from there, from there on, it kind of clicked, and I was like, "Oh, wait, this is this is what I want to do." And um, I began on an annoying Barry Solomon for about, I'd say, about a year and a half to let me intern <laughs> with him until he finally, until he finally agreed. Yeah, was that um, was that at Mayo? No, no, that was I interned with him with Clontarf Rugby Club. Oh, okay, um, in Dublin. They're like, not too far from where I used to live. Okay, what was that experience like? It was it was unbelievable, yeah. I mean, there's certainly guys who are on that team now who are playing for Ireland. Ty Furlong, for one, is playing for Ireland now, and he was he was he was around there, and it was just just being. It was wasn't even well, it wasn't really so much about the players and about the actual the, the team itself. It was just more about watching Barry at, at, at do his thing, and um, I think I didn't probably um, appreciate what I had then and there as having Barry as a mentor because I see now and. I've seen a lot of very good coaches in the states. Don't get me wrong, but none of them have compared to have compared to Barry in terms of his like the kind of art of coaching and, and the 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 communication side of things with both athletes and 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 coaching staff. It was just unbelievable, um, and it just there's not of you know there's no wonder where he is now. You know, he absolutely deserves everything he got. You know, he's he's yeah. a pretty 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 special coach. You know, so obviously for. For people who haven't maybe heard his name before, he's now the uh, the first team strength coach at Arsenal Football Club. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not doing bad for himself. <laughs> no, absolutely not, absolutely not. But uh, no, I, yeah, so I I got in there and I, well, it's funny because he, he said no to me literally about three or four times, and I remember it was this is my first year in, in college and I I I wanted to intern with him and he said no and I was like I was like I was kind of like shit you know I want to I want to do this you know I want to do it now like. So I, I went to my old secondary school. I went. I remember emailing Colin McCarthy, who was the head, who was like the head PE teacher, and he did a bit of the strength conditioning with um, with the rugby teams there. I remember emailing him and saying, "Look, can I just shadow you or something?" You know, I just I just wanted to do something. So he said, "Yeah," and I was there, and I just kind of I just kind of got myself stuck in. And after a couple of weeks, then the the head of sport asked me asked me that I want to stay, and he did pay me. So I was like, "Absolutely." So then, the following two years, and after that, then I was—I basically ran the show for her, which was insane. You think about it, because I had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> I, was a, I was a complete fraud. But like, I was like 20, 21, running running a strength conditioning program, um, and then obviously Barry came in, and I, I could I could kind of go back and forth with Barry, which which helped a lot. Uh, and I also then picked up the year before I left for the states. I picked up a gig with. Um, Trinity College, their uni- university in Dublin. Um, I picked up a job with their rowing team as well. Um, I was that experience is pretty cool because they actually the year I was I was their coach. They they won the All Irelands. They won the university. So it was, it was pretty cool though. But I was I was very fortunate that I had someone like Barry to go to and say, "Here, I have this program here. What do you think? And where do I go from here?" And you know, I had someone like him to to give me advice, which is pretty huge. Um, I was very. I was also very lucky that I, I got a, I got the chance to have that much, get that much coaching at a young age as well. I was pretty. It was pretty lucky. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I think persistence definitely pays off. Like, you know, yeah. if you'd have given up at the first rejection, you, you wouldn't have got that experience. Yeah, well, what, what, I mean, I, I literally asked him about 10 times and then I <laughs> went a different route then. I, I, this, this is where I, I was kind of going off talking about working with Colin McCarthy and Belvedere, but because I, I remember going to him because they were mates, they went to St. Mary's together, and I went to him and was like, can you ring Barry for me? He called Barry. <laughs> then I got Marcus Shortall, who was another, he was a, he's now the nutritionist with Connacht, sports nutritionist with Connacht Rugby. I was, he, he, he lectured me as well in nutrition, and I remember going to both of them, just being like, I remember annoying Marcus like crazy, being like, can you get Barry t- to let me do this? And I think he finally did. So I think, yeah, so it worked out. <laughs> so. Yeah. But, you know, like you said as well, with, that's maybe a lot of experience to get at a young age and maybe you don't have necessarily have all the answers, but mm. you know, I, I look back every two years and think, Oh Jesus, two years ago, I knew nothing. And I'm probably yeah. going to look, you know, look back from, you know, two years from now on and the present day and think, well, actually I know nothing. So you know, yeah. I don't think there's any real right time to get a job. I just think, yeah, you, know, yeah. I always, you know, my philosophy is always to say yes and just kind of, uh, deal with whatever happens because uh, opportunities don't absolutely. come along very often you have to say yes absolutely absolutely yeah so when did you make that decision to go out to the the USA to study and, and what was the thought process behind that um I don't know I I, I um I was kind of I, I kind of knew you need to do a master's and I was looking around and I just I kind of stumbled across Springfield and then I on the Springfield site they kind of I guess they they obviously have their little outline of the of the um, program, but then if you go down and on the website somewhere, I can't remember where that's on the website, but they have like a list of alumni and where they are. And I remember seeing that, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, there's like, <laughs> like Springfield College people are everywhere. I mean, they're all over the NFL. They're all over, you know, Major League Baseball. A guy that two got one of my fr- one of my friends and a guy that I interned for at Springfield are now with the St. Louis Cardinals. Literally, they were hired like back in December. Yeah. Uh, there's all over Division One college. They're all over, you know, NHL. You name it. They're they're everywhere. You know. And I saw that, and I was like, okay, well, this place must is doing something right. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of delved a little deeper into what the program's about, and I I remember Robbie Burke, who I'm good friends with, uh, who you know, um, put me in touch with um, Sam Leahy, who um, graduated there a couple of years ago, and I got in touch with him, and he sent me this piece, um, that he put on strengthcoach.com. I literally raffer reading it. I was like, "Oh, geez, this is this is where I have to go. Like, this is it." Like, and my, then my thought process was kind of like, you know, because it, it's it's a you're the moment I, I stepped foot in Springfield College, I was coaching. Literally, I, the two years there, I I was coaching from from literally day one. Yeah. Um, you could go to a master's program, and you could be you won't have any you know unless you actively go out and look for it. You could be doing no coaching at all. Yeah. Um, which to me is a waste of time. Because Absolutely. Uh, to me, I, I was kind of thinking. I was like, "Yeah, I could, you know, I could apply to St. Mary's, and I could apply to these places." And no disrespect to the programs at all. I'm sure they're great programs, but I could apply to these places, and 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 I, you know, yeah, I'll be sitting in front of a presentation slide for two years or a year or whatever. And I, the way I kind of thought about it was, I, you know, I'm very, quite self-sufficient and I'm quite intrinsically motivated and whatnot, so I can go and I can read this this stuff myself. Yeah. But this, the the coaching side of things, you, you know, and as well the fact that you're in in the states and they've got so many connections, you can intern pretty much wherever you want. I remember first week in Springfield, sitting down with Doc Thompson, who's the program coordinator and, and director of strength conditioning. He kind of sat down and goes, "Where do you want to intern?" And I'm like, "I don't know." He's like, "You know, you can intern literally wherever you want." 
<laughs> it's like I was like Jesus. I was like I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. So it, it's it's that. I I mean, because I remember Rob, Robbie Burke telling me this as well years ago. He was like, it's it's not if you you know a a, a shit strength conditioning program delivered or coached well is better than a really good program coached poorly. Yeah. So the the art of coaching is not not the this the science or whatever it's absolutely very important but it, you know that the 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 delivery of it is is just as important. Yeah. Um so that's why I kind of wanted to get over there and, and I think that the also the situation there's not a lot of opportunities in Ireland as well. Very few. Um so I think there's obviously a lot more here so I think between all of them you know I, I wanted to go to wherever the you know, was seen as the, as the best place. You know, I knew I felt I felt this place would would enhance my growth as a coach, and I I feel I I hope it did. I'm pretty sure it did. So, oh, for sure. Um, now, um, yeah. kind of bringing up your persistence again, you want to tell people the story about how you managed to get your place uh, at Springfield? <laughs> yeah. So I I applied to Springfield, and I'd say, I mean, I don't know. I think Dr. Thompson told me when I actually got in. He says we'd actually. I was one of the first for a couple of years that were from Ireland that actually was emailing them, even even that I even applied. So I, <clears throat> I I got my application in like very very early, and I mean I I rang that place I'd say every every single week. Like when I got there, the international center like knew a lot of, a lot about me because I rang them so much, <laughs> and it, it got to the point where like when I ring Doctor Thompson's office, I I reckon he saw the Irish area code and was like, no no I'm not answering this. <laughs> I, I constantly I, I annoyed I annoyed the shite out of him. I, I just rang him constantly, and um, and then anyway I was put on the wait list and I was absolutely good at I was I was good at that I was put on the wait list, um, and I and like you're talking with this Doctor Thompson gets like close to a thousand applicants and he only lets like twelve people in like wow so so um, I was like oh, I don't stand you know I was like oh, I don't stand a chance and then I heard. Boyle coming over. I was with Robbie and with Barry because I, you know, I was still intern with Barry and I knew Robbie very well. So they told me that Boyle's coming over, and I remember saying to the both of them, "I was like, you have to let him know that I applied to Springfield. You have to let him know." Um, and so anyway, we we were at the seminar. It was it was the one he was recording, Functional Strength Coach Five, and I remember it was just I don't know. It was like it was like some it's like the stars aligned or something because I remember standing up in between a, a, a talk. Just happened to turn around. Robbie was walking over towards where Boyle was, and he just kind of called. He just kind of like waved at me to come over, and it was like. And so anyway, I walked over, and Robbie goes, "This is." And Barry, I think Barry was there as well, and he goes, "Look, this this is James. He, he's um. He applied to Springfield, and he's a really good guy. He went on the Exos mentorships with me. He's a really good coach. Yada yada. Anyway, I also went, you know, the afters and was chatting to him as well, and he he kind of just said, you know, look, I know. I know I know Dr. Th- I know Dr. Thompson pretty well. Um, send me an email on Monday when I get back to the states, and I'll email Dr. Thompson for you. So I was like, I was like, okay, yeah, Grant. So literally Monday morning, as soon as I, I got up, or it was up early Monday morning, sent me an email saying, you know, hey, spoke to you at the conference. You said you'd do this for me if if that's all right and whatever. And it was I remember like literally sitting down with my dad, being like, all right, how do I write this without saying like an absolute arsehole? <laughs> Uh, it was literally took me like thirty minutes to write it, but I, I I got it off, and he sent me an email back, literally forty minutes later, saying sent Doctor Thompson an email, um, best of luck. And then a week later, I got uh, an email with a PDF or a scan, like PDF document of my acceptance letter from the from the International Center. Wow. Um, 
um, it was I couldn't believe it. It was absolutely unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah. So pretty, um, when did that start? Which the, the the program? Yeah, yeah. When did you when did you move over there? So I moved over there. It was August twenty fifth, two thousand and fourteen, is when I moved. Um, so the way the program works is they split you. They split you, and well, so you have to intern. You have to do three internships in total. The first one you do is an on on campus one. So you intern with the GAs. Okay. So and they basically decide from that who gets the GA from the following year. So it's it's hugely competitive. And think about it. You're you're getting Pete. You're getting like some of the best people in the U.S. And you're putting them in one program. You're fighting over these four positions. So it gets pretty it gets pretty heated. Like so. Anyway, I, what what they do is they split the class in half. One half interns with them in the fall. The other half interns with them in the spring. Yeah. So you've got a good a good chance to get a lot of coaching in. So when I went in, I was because I I, I came in late. Or not came in late. I mean, I came. The U.S. wouldn't let me in until August twenty fifth. So I came August twenty fifth. So I, I I end up interning in the spring. Um, so yeah, I, I got there August twenty fifth. Starting class started in September, and um, then I interned with them. I interned with the GAs then, and in um, in the spring then, and I was lucky enough to get picked for a, a GA position. So. And that's that's the the second year that you've just done, right? The second year, yeah, yeah. So they don't, they don't get, they don't, they don't give out first year GAs. Not, not in Springfield, they don't. Other, other places they do, but not, not Springfield. And is, is the GA like you're, you're still doing the MSC, but then you're, you're a paid member of the coaching staff at the same time? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you're, you're still taking classes. Like it's, it's like my, my schedule last year was crazy. Like last, last kind of, from like September December was insane. But I mean, yeah. So you're still taking classes and you're still trying to get your thesis done and you still got your teams. Um. Yeah, so yeah, so it's it's pretty pretty hectic, but it's it was an unbelievable unbelievable experience, though. Oh, mate, getting some uh, some serious hours under your belt. Oh my god! I mean, on I remember from September December, uh, it it was just the way it was that my my teams were all spring sports, so lacrosse and baseball were two of my biggest teams. So they were, um, they were their season doesn't start till like January. So obviously September December, I've got them. You know, the, under NCAA regulations, the the coaches only has a select amount of hours that they can actually see their their athletes off season. Mm. So the strength conditioning coach is with them more. So I, I was literally with them. I was with my lacrosse team five days a week. Okay. Uh, so my my like, and also I I coached the rugby team at Springfield too. So my schedule on a Tuesday and Thursday was insane. It was like I'd be up for lacrosse conditioning at six a.m. I would then go work out myself or lift myself after that then we would have a thing called makeup lift where you've got like an hour if someone misses their lift they'd come in into that hour and I'd always have athletes there baseball or lacrosse or soccer or whatever after that then we'd run straight to class we had like two classes in a row after that I'd go back I'd go back and do something with lacrosse then we do like a lacrosse lift or something like a recovery or whatever um, after that then I would have baseball I had like an hour off and I'd have baseball and then and baseball starts at seven thirty, so it's like seven o'clock. So I'm when baseball's over, it's like eight thirty, and then I go out at from baseball to rugby practice. So I go from eight thirty to probably about ten thirty, maybe eleven. God. So I, I wouldn't get back. I wouldn't get back to my room. So I would literally be up from five a.m. till about eleven thirty p.m. Yeah. On a Tuesday and Thursday. 
<laughs> I mean, the thing the thing was, I like, I do it again. I do it again in a heartbeat. It was it was unbelievable, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like we're we're doing some pretty long days here at the moment. Like our longest day is probably we we get to the office at, at quarter to six in the morning, and then we'll leave at like half past nine at night. So you know, not as yeah. long as yours, but it it still beats having a real job, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're you're in a pretty unique position of of having worked uh, as an S&C coach on, on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah. Do you have an opinion about whether there's uh, different disciplines within strength and conditioning that each is, is good at or they have weak areas that, that maybe they're, they're not as good at? Um, it, it, it's kind of hard to go. I know I said this in the article as well that I, I did for you, but it, it's it, 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 certainly coming from Ireland, you, you can't really compare it. Like, yeah. Because... There's very little money in 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 sport in Ireland, you know. Um, the the two biggest the two the biggest sport is is Gaelic football and hurling, the two Irish sports, and they're amateur. So there's not a lot of money there. So I mean, and at the same time, I haven't been there in two years, so I I don't really fully know how it's progressed and whatnot. But if I had to generalize, and, and I would probably say, in the U.S., I would say the kind of art of coaching and and the kind of culture of building is a lot better here. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they have the resources to allow strength conditioning coaches to do that, whereas in Ireland they don't. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like you've you've got these colleges who are, have million dollar weight rooms, and you know, so whereas in Ireland, you know, some places won't have a coach. Some place, you know what I mean? So it, it's hard to compare. You know, what I, mean? I, I would I would say in terms of certainly in terms of like um, the science side of things, I'd say on par, maybe. Maybe slightly, slightly better in Ireland because I think. But again, you, you know, you, I say that, and then I, I, you know, I, I read more Caldeet stuff and Jada Mayo stuff, and I'm like, wait a minute, these guys are insane. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, you know, I so always, I always say about Jay, like, he, you know, he's he's in a a, a D one school program, mm. and you know, hands down, he would have a better a program than ninety nine percent of professional rugby clubs. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it's it's really really hard to compare. You know what I mean. Um, the the one good thing I will say, and I can only speak for Ireland. Like the one thing, good thing I'll say about Ireland, because we're such a small country, we have to look outward. Yeah. Whereas the US is a large country, they only really look inward. They only really look into the US. You have the the really really great guys who don't. The guys like Jay Mayo, and you know they will look at everywhere. You know what I mean. But mm. so I I think if I had to to generalize, I'd say. The U, some U.S. coaches can be a little narrow-minded, mm. um, but of, of course, not everyone. The great ones aren't. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's two different sides to it. You know, it's it's very hard to compare because Ireland or Ireland is just so different. And there's just no little to no money in sport. When I mean, we only have four professional teams, you know. Yeah, yeah. So compared to the U.S., where they've got like four, four or five pre professional leagues, more probably. You know. Oh mate, it's it's, it's such a business. As well, mm -hmm. you know, like I Absolutely. remember going up to Cal's seminar in, in Minnesota and saw that the, the college team there makes uh, $2 million profit a year. And you think about oh, yeah. professional rugby in England, there's only maybe three teams in the entire league that turn any profit. Yeah, uh, but, it's, you insane. Know, it's insane. I, you know, my, my outsider's perspective, obviously I, I know a few people, including yourself, that work in, in the USA, is that yes, they've got all those resources to, to, to buy the weight room and to fill it with all the great equipment. But when it actually comes to the staffing, they they're not actually willing to spend the money, and 
to justify spending money on coaches' wages. They try and spread the coaches so thin, so it mm. becomes a bit more of a, a conveyor belt where you're you're getting through you know five, six, seven teams a day, and to an extent that you have to use a bit of a cookie cutter program to to get through that sheer volume of athletes, and maybe you don't have the depth of relationship with your athletes that would be possible in, in other countries. Is, have you experienced that? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, the, the way it works in the U.S. is they usually have, like, it's football or American football and then everything else. So everything yeah. else is classified as Olympics. Um, so typically when you've got, I, I, you know, typically when you're in Olympics, you'll have two, maybe three teams, depending on how big they are. Okay. So uh, unless you're at, like, a... Uh, you know, unless you're at a smaller school, maybe who just have one or two strength conditioning coaches, then you'll have like seven or eight. Yeah. Um, but if you're at one like a pretty well established school, you'll have a staff of say four, and you know you'll have like three, you know, two to three each. Yeah. Um, de- depending on who you have, like say for instance, if you've basketball, you've got ice hockey or something like that, then you, they're bigger teams, so you'll have you'll have less. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, but if you've got, you know, so. I haven't quite experienced. That. I know the the wage front. I, I mean, it's it's not great, but it, it, it's it's certainly getting better. Mm. Um, and I I think people are starting to realize the importance of it now, particularly over here in the college setting. And the the biggest thing you just got to educate the the sports coaches, and then once you get that done, then you're. I, th- I think you're kind of. I think it'll it'll rise for fairly fast. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, we we met. Uh, it was just just over a year ago, right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. When you were interning at Northeastern. Yep. Um, so I I made a little visit to the program, and one of the things that they were massive on at that school, and that was a big um, part of the the seminar, the um, Boston Sports yes, Medicine Performance Group, was uh, PRI. So yeah. You know, you I I came away with the impression that it isn't really applicable to the the reality of sport and. You know, there there were people at that seminar that you know I respect, like really respect, like NFL level guys, and they walked out of the presentation and said this is absolute fucking bullshit. But <laughs> you know, in the interest of balance, you've you've been in that program for for several months and you've implemented those those uh, those ideas and those methods with with athletes in the real world. What's your experience of of that? It's been. It was weird. when I was at Northeastern seeing all this stuff. I was like, "This this stuff is crazy." Like this goes against everything that I thought, you know. Mm. But once you, once once I left and I saw their athletes, I'm like, oh, like I would watch stuff and it would make me cringe. Like, um, I I think I I use it in varying with in varying degrees with my teams. Yeah. So, for instance, with women's across, I didn't really use it at all because they didn't like it. They hated it because they they their previous strength and conditioning coaches were former football coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and not to say they're meatheads or they're absolutely not. I, I respect them an awful lot and they're very good coaches, but they, they, they didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. And then I came in trying to do some of it and they were just like, weren't, this isn't, they, we just want to lift. And these, this group of athletes were insane. They were, they were like little you know, meatheads with their fake tan and whatever. But, you know, <laughs> uh, but then, you know, I, with my baseball team, I use it quite a bit. And I, I do think it, it is very appropriate for baseball um, because, um, you know, the, the, the scap acts upon the thorax. So if you put the, your rib cage in a proper position, your scap can move appropriately mm. without, without any compensation. 
So I, I used it a little bit with them, but I, I still wanted to make sure that we were still getting strong. Or, you know, we're still lifting, you know, you know what I mean? We're still putting force in the ground. So I, I think the big thing with people that, that, that dislike PRI is that they're, they're I think it's the same thing when, they, when the FMS came out first. They're like, oh, well, all you do is corrective exercise. And then for PRI, it's like, oh, well, all you do is blow, blow balloons. Yeah. That's not true. That's, that's not true at all. I don't, I don't know anyone who does that. Yeah. You know, I, I think you just got to find the right balance for your situation. I, I, I really like, like, I actually visited Dan Boothby, who's the director there, uh, who works with ice, men's ice hockey there. Um, he'd be a big mentor of mine. And I went in to visit him there the other day. And, and you know, those those hockey players were, were were lifting, you know. I saw I saw them lifting. They they do do they do do some some breathing stuff here, you know, before after maybe a little bit in between, but they're still lifting and they're still strong. They're very strong. Yeah. You know, um. So, I I think you just got to find where it works for your situation. Mm. Um, like say say for instance, like you know the 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 where I use it with I use it a lot in some core stuff, you know. So say. If if I'm doing like a, a plank or a side plank, instead of doing it for seconds, I would do it for breath. Yeah, so that the focus so, goes onto the breath, right? Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, I would say five, you know, five breaths. Yeah. Um. Or or then say what I'm doing, like, say with baseball, if I'm doing like the anterior, the serratus wall slides, I would make sure they're one, they're in their left hip, and then two, that their their pelvis is is tucked. Mm. So and that, that well, and, but again, if you're certainly with your pelvis, whatever the left stance, but if your pelvis is tucked, your ribs are not in the right position. Therefore, your scap can upwardly rotate without any compensation from any, anything else from your QL or whatever. For sure. So, so there's that, and, and then little things like about with like the, the the left AIC pattern where I would do if I was doing like a single arm row with like a cable row, a single arm cable row, I would just do it in left stance. Okay. Or if and what was the the rationale behind that? Um, the, the, so the, the the basically they say that there's a an, um I got to hope I don't screw this up as well because I'll have Dan Boothby calling me right after, <laughs> um, calling me an idiot. But <laughs> they they put it really really simple. They they basically say that the the body has um natural asymmetries, and one of them there you have a you have a tendency to go to your right side. Mm-hmm. Um, is that regardless of, of left or right side of dominance? I believe so. I mean, again, this is just a, path, a, a pathology, so it, it doesn't apply to everyone. You know what I mean? So, and, and that's another thing as well that these these patterns don't apply to everyone. Yeah. You know, um, but you'll find that it's funny because when I when I brought when I was started this with baseball, or I did a little bit with my men's soccer team as well, with little things like that, I would say. I would say, you know, my cue was my cue was to act like your pissed off girlfriend by sitting in your left hip, <laughs> and they're kind of looking at, it, they kind of laugh, and they're looking at me like, why? And I'm like, because you, 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 and I kind of point at like seven or eight of them, be like, you're all sitting in your right in your right hip. I want you to sit in your left hip. Okay. So that that's kind of, I guess that's put it very simply. That that's that's what I, that that's how I implement it. And I just the, the funny kind of cue sparked, and I just kind of hit. You still have to go over and cue them every every other time, but. Um, so my basically philosophy on it would be, I think it's definitely important. Mm. I think it's definitely important when it comes to recovery wise. Oh, really? I think it's re- well, I mean, think about it. you're 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 decreasing sympathetic talent. Yeah. You you know, um, and I would do it, try and do it before and do it after. The problem is it takes time. You know, 
Yeah. Uh, so I would try and do it before and do it after. And it's funny, um, uh, Dan Boothby has a new, well, it's not really new now, but he has a, um, he's not the biggest advocate of Omega Wave. So he, he, he likes, um, he, he, he basically created his own with a, a company. It's called Pro 2, where they look at maximal inspiratory pressure and tidal volume. Yeah. No, I'm not that well versed in, 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 in his, his model. You'll have to get him on to talk about it. But he, um, I remember seeing, you know, I worked out very closely with this, this in particular women's ice hockey player who was preparing for uh, um, the USA national trials, the, the, the national team's um, hockey trials. And she's a very type A personality. She'd come in, she'd be pissed off at something. We'd put her up to the Pro 2 and her, like, graph, say, would be awful and it would be <coughs> terrible, which would suggest that, that she has her, you know, high sympathetic tone. Um, we'd get her doing some... some breathing stuff before she started and her curve would get better and better and better so then we've we've just made her more ready to train mm. and then you do the you she, she does the pro two afterwards and the curve is a little messed up again but that's that's what happens in training you, you get sympathetic in training mm. but then we 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 do some more pri stuff we do some more breathing stuff to bring her back down curve is good send her on her way for the day okay so i you know, again, you need to talk to Dan Booth about that, though. That's that's more up his 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 alley, though. But yeah, no, yeah. I know. Going back to the bigger picture, though, I I think I, I do think there's a, there's a there's a role in it. I think there, but you still have to stick to the the, the basics and and get put force in the ground, get people strong, get people powerful, so on and so forth. Mm. You know, my um, my opinion about that kind of stuff is is similar to the the impression that I've come away with after reading Franz Bosch's book on coordinated um, strength training. Right. That, you know, it, the arguments are logical, but then yeah. taken to extremes, the applications in the real world don't necessarily make sense. Yeah. And I think the, the worst examples of it being implemented in the real world is when it comes at the expense of the other stuff that you've just mentioned, which is you, you still have to be big, strong, and powerful. Yeah, but th that's the thing, like, you know... At Northeastern, their system is, you know, BRI is a big part of their system. But if you talk to Dan Boothby, he'll tell you straight away, is like, you still need to, don't get caught up in this stuff, you still need to get people strong. And I'll tell you, his ice hockey team are strong, you know. So there's yeah. no, you know, I, I'm not sure if there's PTs out there who think they're strength conditioning coaches who are saying, don't lift, just breathe. But I don't, I don't, I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I think people kind of get, you know, when something like this comes about, People just always go to the extremes and they say that not all of these people aren't lifting; they're just blowing balloons, which is, which is untrue. Mm. You know, it, it's just it's just about finding what 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 works for you in your in your environment. So, you know, on that subject, you're you're training multiple teams at Springfield um, mm. and studying. Like that's obviously a lot of work to get through. Yeah. Is there is there a system that you've come up with to to meet the demands of training all those teams, and then you have different options within that to meet the differing demands of of your sports? How do you do it? So, it, it was very different in the sense that the different variables that kind of change things were sports coaches was a big one. Yeah. So, for instance, my soccer team, I really didn't do that much with them up until the spring, until their off season. Okay. Uh, he didn't want he didn't want them to to lift. Uh, they did a small bit in August when they came back first, but throughout the season they didn't really do much at all. I just I I didn't really do anything with them to be honest with you. Um, and then you know I had them a lot in the off season, but they weren't really prepping for a tournament. So uh, opposed to say I had lacrosse and I had 
I had um, baseball who were, were spring sports, so we had this huge, massive period of time where we were prepping for the season. So it was a little, it was a little different in the sense. And obviously, baseball you've got to do things a little bit differently because you've, you know, that you've got they're, they're different animals with their shoulders and so on, for particularly pitchers. So, mm. um, the, the, my programming for all of them were slightly different. I'd say lacrosse and, and soccer were kind of similar, um, but baseball was a little different. You know, have I have I kind of answered your question, or have I have I kind of done a politician thing and kind of not really fully answered it? No, I, th- I think you you know it's kind of like the answer that I would give myself like you know that which unites the teams is probably you know there's there's a lot that unites them but then it's it's just like little details that you have to change is that yeah. is that what you're getting at? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So like so, you know for instance like you know with you know say our two two big uh, for me in Springfield the two big lower body lifts would have been like a front squat and a trap bar. Mm. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say with pitchers, I wouldn't say I want you to get in that rack position because okay. their elbows are already destroyed. So I'm not going to say, you know, put yourself in a severe flexion there and, and put, some, put some weight in the bar. I, you know, we did the safety bar squat. Or, and then more, we did a lot of arm care stuff, uh, which I got from Eric Cressy. And, you know, we do, we do a lot of arm care with the pitchers, whereas obviously other teams wouldn't necessarily need to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, it's like the, the icing on the cake is, is the stuff that's different, but the, the majority of the cake is the same, right? Yeah, and then and then obviously because because baseball is is a purely alactic sport, and then you got lacrosse, which is you know aerobic alactic. You know you got the conditioning element as well. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, so, and you know, I've, you know, going back to the idea of there's a lot that unites the programs. I think what you have to remember as well is that if it's if it's taking place in the gym, it's pretty much GPP. Uh, it's not until Absolutely. you start to get out onto the field that you're really doing this specific stuff. And yeah. The, the majority of the weight room stuff is, is going to be quite similar. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's, it's funny. There was an article. I can't remember who wrote it, but it came up on Free Lap USA about sports coaches thinking their sport is special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I want you to really, really, you know, rugby-specific stuff. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. I got, you know. Yeah. Whereas at the, same, at the end of the day, you know, you just put, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're a different breed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it's funny, like, I think, I, th- I think I read the article you're talking about, and you, you can absolutely make the case that 90% of the program is going to be identical for yeah. 90% of the athletes of 90% of the sport. And it's it's not really until you start to get into those intermediate to advanced years that you do need to be more um, specialized yeah. in your training to get continued improvement on the field. Yeah. But by the time they're in that environment, they're not a college, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was working. In, I was running co- college athletes. So, I mean, there was no need to do that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, um, that that dissertation that you're doing alongside the uh, the workers at GA. Do you want to uh, yeah. kind of dive into that and and what you're trying to investigate and what you found with your your thesis? Yeah. So, well, actually, I, I got the idea from you um, from your article with um, when we worked in Sydney uh, with the, in the in the NRL. I got it from that, and I just like you made a lot of valid points. And I was kind of thinking about it then, and then I was kind of like, well, you know, everyone says Olymp- Olympic lifting is the gold standard for producing power. Yeah. But why do they say that? If, if they just say it because it's always told. Exactly. That's the way they've always. That's the way they've always done it, and they've always heard. And they, you know, so and then you know, then I obviously read Brian Mann's ebook on velocity-based training. And then he was, when he was actually investigating, he did some, I think before he started the whole velocity-based training um, 
is his work in that he I think he was he was doing a study or he was looking at a study or doing a study for about on like Olympic lifting and he went through the research and it was like well hang on a minute there's no significance that 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 these actually produce power yeah the yeah. They, 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 the research is very inconclusive so then I went on that rabbit hole and found out the same thing that he found out that yes it is actually very very inclusive most of the studies that actually say it improved power is because they're elite level Olympic weightlifting or elite, like that that there's a correlation between you know I don't know uh, Hand clean or Olymp or clean and jerk yeah. um, number and a, and, a, and jump height, you know the correlation. But they, they were all elite level. Olympi uh, uh, um, I, I just lost my words. Uh, elite, elite level uh, Olympic weightlifters. Absolutely. So yeah, naturally they're elite athletes and You'd their sport them is to be explosive, right? Absolutely, yeah. But it, the ones that you see athletes, it doesn't really transfer over. And also, uh, and, I mean, and, our job as, as coaches, we don't deal with correlations; we deal with effect size. So Absolutely. you improve training exercise in the gym, you improve uh, the movement on the field by this much. And then you're looking at that relationship, not, oh, surprise, surprise, my most explosive athlete is really good at the clean and the vertical jump. Absolutely. But, and and then, so then, then I was thinking about it, like, when you're, in a, when you're in the college system, when you're at Springfield, we, we were very lucky to have a huge weight room, but like, you're, still limit, you, you're still like looking at the clock the whole time. You, you're on the clock. Yeah. So, so the, the way Springfield works was you've got X amount of minutes in this warm-up area, you go on the racks, you've got 30 minutes on the racks. So you've got to get an explosive exercise potentially, uh, lower body strength lift, potentially an upper body you know, a squat or a bench in there all in 30 minutes and get the hell off and then do your accessories off the racks. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, this isn't like, you know, why not save myself some time? If I can find something that works exactly the same, it'll save coaches tons of time. Because, you know, you have to go through the, the progression, the clean progressions and... Even at that, if you have an uncoordinated athlete, they might look shit. And, you know. and then I was thinking about when I was working at, at the high school or the secondary school in, in, in Ireland, the, you know, in season, the guys doing cleans, they've got sore elbows, sore shoulders, sore this and sore that from playing contact sport. Cleans don't help. Cleans are making them, they're, 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 you know, cleans don't, you know, they're in pain, they're doing cleans. So yeah. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. let me see if I can find an alternative. So, the reason I went with a jump squat is I think I, I, I think I got it from you as well, but the, the, my rationale for the choosing a jump squat when I was doing my proposal and my defense and stuff was because it has a similar, similar kind of, um, I guess, anatomical qualities as a clean. You've got your triple extension. You've got your kind of eccentric. <coughs> you've got your eccentric strength with a landing. Yeah. So I basically have this exercise where if, if some Olympic lifting coach comes to me and this is it, well, I'm like, well, this is this is pretty similar. Like you can't really you can't really argue too much with me here. So anyway, the study was I for four weeks I did this with my lacrosse thing for four weeks. I had hand cleans. I had one group doing hand cleans. You're doing jump squats, and I had the jump squat group were hooked up to, to tendos. Um, and I had the speed of the tendos, the same average. I was using average velocity. I, I know I couldn't really fully get it. I couldn't get a, a proper score for a proper number for max velocity. Uh, emails. I was emailing people back and forth, and I couldn't really couldn't really get the number. So I went with average velocity. Yeah. Because that, that was that was in there in Brian Mann's book. So I, I took that, and I think it was I went 1.1 to 1.4 meters per second. So they basically just had to hit three. They had four sets of three. They had to hit three three reps at that speed. Okay. So and they did it for four weeks, and every every other volume in terms of conditioning, in terms of in the weight room, was exactly the same, and, and plyos and full contacts and everything was exactly the same. And then I measure. I looked at um, a twenty meter sprint, um, a counter movement jump, 
as my um, frame pre and post. And essentially, I didn't find any significance. So they, they both improved or they both stayed the same? They, they, both, imp- they both improved. I think it, the jump squat improved. It didn't, it didn't, it wasn't, there wasn't any statistic significance, but there was some meaningful significance that the jump squat group improved a little bit more. Presumably because of that faster learning curve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you think maybe if you extended the, the duration of that study out or you increased sample size, maybe there, there would start to be a relationship there? Potentially. Who knows? Potentially. I mean, That's yeah. That's the PhD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? Um, but it, I mean, it, there is obviously with every study there's limitations. So there, there you know, it, there was limitations to this study. You know, like small sample size. I only had nineteen. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got a ten no unit, and you've got to make sure they hit a certain amount of reps at a speed. So if they screwed up, you got to go. You got to do this again. You got to do an extra, an extra rep or something in a set, and you know these these kind of things. But you just it is what it is. You know, that's that's research, I guess. Yeah, but super interesting. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but the, the one thing I did, I, I was, I'm thinking about, it and I remember I got asked this in my in my defense um, about the load. Like, obviously, he was like, I got asked the question, like, can you load the jump squat up more or the same as a hand clean? And the answer is no. When the bar is on your back, no, you, I don't. I don't think you can. But I think if I actually then after my defense, I started implementing trap bar jumps. Because I thought about that, and I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can find something that you can actually have a similar amount of load. Yeah. To then furthermore shut the meatheads up as well, saying, well, we're doing the same thing, we're lifting the same amount here. Yeah. And the, you can actually, I guess it's probably to do with the angle and to where your hands, you know, your hands are, and you're holding the bar, but you can actually jump a little. You can jump similar speeds with with a greater load. So I'd probably go with a trap bar jump in the future. But could, and, and, you, could you argue, kind of in opposition to that, that you're not chasing load for the sake of it, you're chasing training effect? True. And if you're uh, well, using that, less of a load, maybe that's beneficial. True, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but at the same time as well, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not totally against cleans, you know what I mean? I, I think I still, did it with one, like, I still did it with one of my teams, you know what I mean? I still, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not completely opposed to it, I just feel like, if we can find a, a more efficient way to do it, then why not do it? If we want a, a more efficient way to do it, with which takes the least amount of time to to train to to coach, and then the why not why not go for it? Because you know time is of the essence. Is particularly I mean in, in every sense in strength conditioning, but particularly when you're in the college setting where you know I had thirty minutes on a rack. Yeah, that's that's you know, nothing. <laughs> Three exercises. Absolutely. If if you've got a day where you've got to do, a, you got to you got to do an upper body. Upper body and lower body lift on that rack. You've got to get in and out. You know, you got to be quick. Like, yeah. So, so have there, have there been any kind of stuff that you've you've implemented uh, in the last year or so that's new in your programs or stuff that you've you've changed your mind about? Because I know we we emailed back and forth about you trying extensive plyos with uh, some of your guys. Yeah. yeah. So plyos was the biggest thing that I've I've changed. I'm still kind of toying with to get a set a set kind of. System. I'm, I think I have it. And I think I, I obviously for the help from yourself and Jada Mayo that I've kind of, I've kind of hammered down the kind of structure of it. Um, but plyos was the big thing. I remember. I remember just when we had dinner with, with Jay in, in Boston last year. Listening the famous to him and, dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember him talking about this, and I was like, you know, he was saying he was getting. I remember emailing him, and he was like, oh, he's been getting. I can't remember the, the actual, the, the actual increases he'd get in the amount of time, but it was insane. Four I remember reading this being like. 
yeah, I'm reading this and I'm like, you know, I don't care how crazy this shit is. You've you've got to listen to that. You you can't ignore that. Like, oh, for sure. You 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 cannot ignore those results. So anyway, I, I got Jay's. Jay sent me on his, his player progressions, and I I, I implemented them with baseball. Now, this thing, like, I, I was implementing different stuff with my different teams. So as I was figuring different different stuff out, I was kind of like, oh, I'm gonna try this team because just in terms of the the way the schedule was, it worked. So I tried, I tried, I started to do Jay's players progressions with baseball, but it just proved a little bit too difficult because with ba- I had fifty guys, fifty baseball players, so it just proved a little bit too difficult. So then I kind of took a slightly different approach where I kind of went, you know, we obviously did all our landing stuff, we did our, our kind of single leg hops and that kind of stuff at the very, very beginning. We already had that kind of base. Then we went to the extensive, and then I went into the the intensive stuff. So I guess that's that would that you know it's pretty standard, I guess. Well, standard for for yourself. Oh, for me, um, yeah, for sure. That that's what I, I did with baseball, and I, I did get some some pretty good results. I did get some 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 very good results. Um, and I, I did I I started when I saw baseball getting I saw it working with baseball. I started playing more with lacrosse, and I, I just kind of found I, I found that I saw certain athletes that were typically quite slow. I found them just that they had a bit more spring about them, and I don't know if it's from the plyos solely, but I just I don't know something just was like hmm, this is interesting. Mm. Um, so plyos was the, was a big thing for me this year, and I, I think it was funny. Like I remember talking to Pete with Dr. Thompson and, and Dr. Kirsten Allett, who's another professor at, at Springfield, um, talking about plyos, and you know, there's a difference between plyos and jumps. Oh yeah, <laughs> a jumping a jumping as, a, as an applier, but you still see people call a box jump applier. Oh, what winds me up is when people class uh, med ball throws as plies, for example. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it should be like a, it's a ballistic move, I guess you could call it. Yeah, well, my a understanding of, of plier is obviously like uh, this is this is stolen from Jay, who stole it from Verkashansky, but yeah, yeah, plyometric is it's rhythmic, high speed, high stretch shortening cycle activation, limited contact time. Yeah, it well, it's it. it what defines a, a, a plyometric exercise is the, is the coupling time. Yeah, I can't, can't remember the actual number, but it, um, that's what defines it. And it's funny, like you have these, like I don't know, I just, I just I just found it found that kind of amusing. Like everyone's like, oh, look at the plyos we do, and they're just doing box jumps. It's yeah. like, well, that's not a plyo. It's not like I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just I just thought that was kind of interesting, like that people are kind of missing missing out on this, I guess. Yeah. Um. um and then obviously, like I, you know, there was a couple of things that you see that really pissed me off. But like, was like, people will just go aimlessly go into drop jumps, and you're like, what are you doing? Like, you're gonna kill these athletes. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta earn. It's like it's just like it's just like 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 uh, lifting overhead. You gotta earn the right to go overhead. You gotta earn the right to do drop jumps. Uh, mate, still none of none of my athletes do uh, drop jumps. Yeah, I I, I mean I. I I, I I did it with my lacrosse team, and I and I and I regret it because I, I I think it crushed them, and I, and um, I think my baseball guys were able to handle it because I gave them higher load of plyos. Yeah, but I don't think my lacrosse team were ready for it. And presumably they don't have the same volume of of, of technical training, you know, lit- literal like kind of meterage mm. in in their sport practice, right? Um, like, you know, well, so so for example, I'm guessing that. The, the physical demands placed on a lacrosse, uh, lacrosse player outside of the gym in terms of the distance they have to cover oh, is a lot higher yes. than, than baseball. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the weird thing about lacrosse is, and it's it's a pretty interesting sport. There's a lot of decelerations and change of directions. It's like it's it's you, you, there's just there's so much of it. It's crazy. Like so, I, they, they yeah. I mean, that was that was that was on me. But 
I mean, it's something that you can take and go forward and don't make that mistake again, I guess, you know? Yeah. Is there anything that you're going to try out new um, this year? Well, i got to get a team first. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I, well, another thing that, that what, what kind of over the year, which I kind of delved into with Dr. Kirsten on the left, was the maximal aerobic speed, which I'm sure you're happy to talk about. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always did. I mean, I always did that. I did that when I first started out because I, I knew Barry did it, and I, I did it. Um, uh, I started delving a little. Then I read James Smith's book, The Applied Sprint Training, which was unbelievable as well. So good. Um, but then I, 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 I looked at Gregory DuPont's, that, that research article he did, um, the one he did in season with soccer players. Youth uh, athletes I, though, right? I thought, I thought it was with uh, professional. I thought it was at Lille, no? In France. Oh, oh, maybe I'm reading the wrong article. Like I've, I've, I read the, it's funny, actually today I read uh, Dan Baker's article on Freelap. And oh, I was right. having a conversation with Graham Morris, who's also been on the podcast. And, you know, my my issue with maths, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, but my, yeah, my issue with, with maths is that it's kind of at odds uh, philosophically with what the goal of, of what I think energy system preparation should be for sport, which is to be as explosive as possible, as often as possible, as sustainable yeah. as possible. And if you look at what mass is, it's, it's a sub-maximal effort extended for as long as possible. Mm. Or your ability to repeat sub-maximal efforts, which is not really the limiting factor to... Um, performance in my opinion and also mm. people you know they they always go back to what the research improves mass the research improves uh vo2 well, max that's not the stuff that you're looking to improve yeah absolutely but the the funny thing is when, when i looked at this i look i remember i remember sitting down with with dr kirsten Allaire, or dr ko as we call her sitting down with her because she was very interested in this in the master as well because the master was only kind of hit the u.s pretty recently like it's not it hasn't whereas it's been in europe for you know, quite a while, like, yeah. But they've only kind of copped onto it recently. But I remember she got very interested, in it and we delved into this Gregory Dupont's article, and then he mentioned that that one twenty percent is the is the most efficient speed to to run at to get the best results. So we went and we found the reference he got. He he referenced that, and we went, we found the found the article that he referenced, and the study is the study that he found that off is completely flawed. Yeah, <laughs> the there's only there's the sample size. There's only three samples in it. Really? So like. When I saw that, I was like, "Wait a minute, this is a little bit weird." Like, you know, people, you know, but 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 then as well, when you look at Baker's article articles, and I'm a huge Dan Baker fan. Don't get me wrong, but when you look at his different articles, the one from the UKSCA, the one from Freelap USA, he's done another one somewhere else as well. Where he says the percentage of mass is is, is over anaerobic threshold is different in every single article. Yeah. So and, well, here's another one. He he says in the Freelap article the most important. Um, factor in improving energy system development for team-based sports is accumulating training impulse above maximal aerobic speed and you know 120 is the way to do it and my response yeah. to that is well you know if you're doing speed training surely that's a much higher percentage above maximal aerobic speed so so then going back to james smith you know in the, yeah. and, and charlie francis high low the mass is going to be is going to have to be classified as high and it's going to come in at the expense of speed work and when yeah. you train speed work, you get the benefit of the speed work for itself, but you're also increasing your your reserve relative to the speed of the game, uh, which which is going to increase repeatability of explosive efforts. So you're training explosiveness and repeatability. And then obviously yeah. if you're training uh, lower intensity aerobic uh, activities on the low days, 
you're going to improve your ability to to resynthesize the the lactic system and repeat those efforts and, and back those efforts up. Yeah, absolutely. So and, and I mean, if if you look at I, I can't remember the study, but basically I got it from Laden. There's research right. coming out to show that you know really the the amount of substrate within the lactic system is not the limiting factor of of the the output of the lactic system. It's the central nervous system. So it's your ability to recruit and and yeah contract muscle fiber so that's an even stronger argument to say well when if you're training within an alactic aerobic model and i don't think you can argue that those two systems are taxed extremely heavily within rugby yeah. training the alactic system has to be done in you know basically a speed training context yeah absolutely I, I, and i think going back to the original question i think that is one thing that i'll probably change <laughs> <laughs> so um, i I, I, would, I mean but the thing the thing about the one good thing about mass is it's very convenient. Yeah. So that, that is the one thing, that's the one very good thing about it, that it is very convenient um, and it is individualized if the percentage of the individual, individual's individualization is correct or not is a different story, but it is very, like in my situation with, with my lacrosse team, it worked out well because I, I could only do conditioning twice and I didn't have time to do speed work in the weight room, which we just didn't have the, the facility for that. Yeah. So it, it, it worked out that way. It worked out all right, but if I had to do it another way and if I was with a bigger school and so on and so forth, I would probably go on the high-low system. Okay, yeah. You've got, more, you've got more time and you've got more. Well, well listen, I'll, I'll share with you. Like, I'm, I'm at the point now where it, it, you know, I've, I've, I've taken the ideas or the experiences from last year of saying, well, you know, really, we didn't actually directly do... Uh, high intensity aerobic conditioning we just let rugby take care of it we train the elastic system we trained yeah. lower intensity aerobic activity and i don't think that as, <clears throat> as a team we got embarrassed in terms of conditioning i think at, at, times, at times we looked quite good yeah so particularly, against, particularly when you knocked us out <laughs> there, there was a lot of factors that day but you know <laughs> ah, well, that, that, that is true <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know starting with a new team now i'm i'm trying to to take those observations and those ideas and run with it and say well actually uh we're not we're not going to train uh the aerobic system uh directly within the gym environment all of that time also within the snc environment all of that time that we could uh, have used is now going to go towards speed power and strength development because of the the reserve concept we still train lower intensity uh lower intensity aerobic activity but then all of the rest of the stuff is uh is trained via rugby albeit with a high degree of control for myself about you know yeah. what's the intensity what should the work uh, rest uh, ratio be and, and so on mm. and obviously you know, that that gets a raised eyebrow from a lot of, of rugby coaches yeah, and yeah a lot of questioning so it's kind of like i'm you know I'm, I'm at that stage now where i'm having to 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 kind of hold my nerve with it and and, and see what happens with it yeah yeah well i mean yeah i've had i've had very varying degrees of of like different styles of sports coaches like I had one coach where I could literally stand on the sideline and if they do something insane I'll just say no no this isn't happening and she'd be like <laughs> absolutely fine no problem whereas if I did that to another coach I would be fired so yeah uh, you know but I think it, I think it's just the more you educate the sports coaches that the more you'll be able to do you know yeah you took the words out of my mouth that and that and relationship absolutely yeah if they yeah. trust you and if they, if they like you and trust you you know oh for sure so yeah. Uh, for for anyone who wants to get into strength and conditioning, give me five coaches they should listen to. God, um, can I say you? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Damn. Um, I would say... Don't, don't go crazy up here. The first person I would say is Mike Boyle. And the reason being, his Advances in Functional Training was the first book I read. And it was awesome. And it was, it was such a, it's such an easy book. He makes strength conditioning so simple. I read it too. And so, you know, mate, he's done, he's done great things because... Absolutely, yeah. It, mate, you know, success leaves clues. And if you've got 500 yeah. athletes a day going through your facility... You're doing something right. That's a lot. That's a lot of testing. That's a lot of ideas. Yeah. That's and and the the biggest thing that I took away from Mike Boyle is systems. Yeah, his place yeah. runs like clockwork. And I think you know, if if you've been in the academy rugby environment or you've been in, you know, like you're in the college environment, you need to have systems. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would say check out Mike Boyle. I think you know, but okay, like I'm, I don't one. I think he's well, I owe him a lot. So and he's a, he's a really really nice guy. And I wouldn't wouldn't agree necessarily with some stuff, but there is a lot of stuff there that's that's still like a you know that still I would I would agree with you know what I mean he's he's very he he's done a huge amount for it he's probably I'd say he's contributed to the field probably one of the most for sure um and I think his book and advanced functional training it was is is a, a I think for someone starting off is is absolutely a, a must I I think that'd be number one um who else uh, well I really like Madden Jovanich. And I said this in the article as well. I still read his articles, and I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> but he, I, I, I know he's like, he's insane. I know he's like so good. So I, I, I try and read as much of his stuff as I can. Um, I read, I, obviously, I really like Jada Mayo. He doesn't release that much. His podcast is great. Um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Cal Dietz is a, is a genius as well. Um, I do like Dan Baker. Um, what are we on now? That's five. I'll give you an extra one. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I know, I'm kind of blanking on this. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, I know, I'm a big fan of all, all the Exos people. Um, Nick yeah. Winkleman. Um, I really like Nick Winkleman's For, stuff. Former Exos. <laughs> former. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, we're very lucky to have him in Ireland. Jeez, I hope he. Mate, he seems to be doing a number with you guys. You know, two wins yesterday. Yeah. Well, it's t- this is typical Ireland. That what's going to happen is it's typical Ireland. We'll have a huge result like we did against France in the World Cup. Yeah. And they will absolutely just bottle it like we did against you <laughs> the wheels will fall off oh that, that's it's it's just that's just irish sport unfortunately i don't know what's wrong with us mate it's the consistency isn't it i think that a, a lot of times it's the uh the defining factor of a yeah. successful team like a lot of people can have a good game but it's it's winning it's, games when you play badly and winning them again and again and again yeah there's something i i, I tell you irish rugby need to get a, a head doctor and a sports psych or something in there because Every every World Cup, they always give out all the coach, all the coaches, and you know he made this mistake, this that mistake. You you cannot argue with Joe Schmidt. Joe Schmidt is one of the best rugby coaches around. What happened was we we did not execute his his plan and his system that day. So I'm going completely off topic. This is this that that game pissed me off so much. But um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll see Sorry. you in four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, um, where can people find you online? Uh, I don't like have a. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to start writing for you if possible. Um, you've, you've done a little bit already. I would love to have true, you on yeah. again. Um, I mean, I have, I have a Twitter. My Twitter account, I think it's at JamesCollins50. Um, very imaginative, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I do have a Facebook if anyone wants to add me. I mean, I don't really, I don't really post that much stuff on my Facebook. I'll retweet a lot of stuff on Twitter, but I'm not really that active on social media. Probably, maybe, maybe I should get on that, but. Mate, um, like, yeah, people can shoot me an email if they want. If there any young guys that want to go, think about going to Springfield or 
come to the States or whatever and they can shoot me an email, absolutely. What's your email? It is jcollins6 at springfieldcollege.edu. Are you going to get spam now? <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, James, mate. Appreciate it. No worries. No worries. Cool. All right, let me just stop that for you there.